The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the third Doctor story, The Mutants. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel is Father Cory Sika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. Uh, folks, be sure to write an Apple podcast review or give us a rating on Spotify or do whatever it is that wherever podcast directory you get your podcast from. That helps us a lot. And also when you share the podcast with your friends, let people know about this podcast uh, and spread the news. Uh, I want to tell you about another show on the network you are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. You can find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash secrets. We've had some awesome uh, discussions on there lately. We've talked about uh, The Gray Man. We've talked about The Last Starfighter. We'll be talking about uh, For All Mankind, uh, the Apple TV Plus series. And The Offer, which is a, a a show that's about the making of The Godfather. It's not a documentary. It's a fiction. Uh, but <laughs> a lot of fun discussions going on there. So, but now we're talking about Doctor Who and the mutants. And Father Corey, can you give us a recap of what happens? I'd be glad to. There's a lot going on in this one, so it'll be kind of a long one. <laughs> the third Doctor is still in his Time Lord-imposed exile on Earth when he has sent a package from the Gallifreyan post office that he needs to deliver. The TARDIS is freed by the Time Lords to take him and Joe Grant to a sky base orbiting the planet Solon in the 30th century, where the Earth Empire obviously hasn't learned the lesson of the British Empire had with India, South Africa, North America, and more places. The overlords, colonists from Earth, are having a conference with Solonian representatives to grant the planet independence. The marshal, who is planning to eradicate the Sol Solonians and make Solon New Earth, has the administrator assassinated and immediately declares martial law. The doctor di discovers that the package is intended for Kai, leader of the Solon rebels, so he attempts to stop Kai and give it to him instead. Kai grabs Joe and takes her to Solon, where the atmosphere is toxic to overlords, Earthlings, during the day. The doctor is pressed into service with the scientist Jaeger to work on changing Solon's atmosphere into one more habitable for humans. Meanwhile, hiding in abandoned mines, Joe learns about the struggles of the Solons and the mutations occurring to them. Two of the Earth soldiers, Cotton and Stubbs, become allies of the doctor and begin working with him against the marshal. The doctor is able to get off Skybase with the aggressive help of Varen, leader of the Solons, and is able to get the package to Kai. Inside are some tablets with ancient Solon writing and symbols. Meanwhile, the marshal brings soldiers to gas and trap those who are in the mines, trying to kill them. Figure in a protective suit shows up just in time to get the doctor and company to safety. Inside the suit is Professor Sondergaard, researcher of ancient Solons. The professor helps the doctor discover that the tablets are a calendar of the Solonian seasons, each lasting 500 years. Finding a crystal within a chamber full of radiation, the doctor also discovers that the mutations are actually a natural process of the Solon people. Eventually, an investigation from Earth shows up. The Marshal's plan to change the atmosphere of Solon is foiled. Kai is changed into a rainbow-colored, trans-dimensional butterfly. The Earth colonists agree to remain on Solon long enough to help the Solonians complete their transformation. 
and the Doctor and Joe return to the TARDIS in 20th century Earth. The end. The end. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like you said, there's a lot going on in this episode. And it, uh, you know, we, we all often talk in these classic Who discussions. Some move very slowly. There's lots of filler. Some, there's lots going on and it doesn't feel like filler. This felt like there was a lot going on. It, it, it does, was, though. It, it felt yeah. like it was more in the first half than the second half. The first three to four parts of this, it's a six-part serial. The first three to four parts, I felt, moved much faster than the last two or three. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. There's a lot more sitting around talking in the last couple. And running yeah. through corridors and caves and space stations and brush. and <laughs> Right. Yeah, like at the end of the fourth episode, I was thinking, you know, what else is gonna, what else are they going to be doing? Like, it just doesn't mm-hmm. seem like there's much left to do here. Uh, you know, and the, we get, you know, right down to getting thrown in the radiation chamber, what, twice, three times? Yeah. One of them while <laughs> they're getting ready to dock a ship and refuel it through the radiation chamber. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, they escape, they go back, they escape. So you're right. You're right. There is a bit of that uh, slowness at the end, but in the, the, the first part that moves along, uh, you mentioned uh, the comparison to the British Empire, and that, that was a clear inspiration mm-hmm. for this one, is the human empire of the 30th century is supposed to be like the British Empire of the 20th century, early to mid 20th century, which is uh, it's gotten to the point where it's starting to fall apart. The empire is. Yep. And this apparently was written as a clear analogy to apartheid in South Africa. Which I could see. Which at the time, in 1972, was still, you know, it, it, decades away from being dismantled as a system mm-hmm. of government. Uh, so, interesting. There was even that, like, the transfer station, the, the, the transporters in the transfer station, there was one for the Salonians and one for the overlords. Right, right. You know, you couldn't use the same pa- platform. So. One question that came up for me that I – at first I thought the Salonians were human colonists mm-hmm. because they look human. But I guess in the end they're not. They were the native population. Yes. Yeah, they were the native population of the planet. Now, the planet, um, as, I, as I mentioned in the summary, it had 500-year seasons. Two thousand right. took 2,000 years to go around their sun. Which that's yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's some scientific reason why that's couldn't happen. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it it had these seasons, and they were they transformed based on what season they were in. And so the mutations was actually the natural process of the Salonians, right? Um, and, but when Earth got there 500 years before, coincidentally, was right at the beginning of the Salonian spring, where they looked like human beings. Okay. And the the uh, lizard insect form was not the actual mutation that was supposed to become. It was a, uh, a, a mutation stage. of the mutation. Yeah, they were supposed to mo- do that and then move beyond it. Mm-hmm. But but the the overlords just saw it as an infection, or you know they became like lepers and needed to weed out the infection and kept killing yeah. them off instead of allowing them to change. Well, and, and- and it, it turns out that the, the work that Jaeger has been doing, Jaeger has been doing um, on the atmosphere caused the transformation early. Right. So they started the transformation, but they needed that crystal the doctor found in that cave with the radiation to complete the process. Yes, that's what it is. And uh, that's another aspect of this is the story was kind of an, alleg- an allegory and an analogy to 
how colonizers, that's the word I'm looking for, often, you know, stripped the place, the colony of its natural resources, left it a mess and, you know, and abandoned the people who, you know, the the inhabitants of that area after it was mm-hmm. no longer useful to them. Uh, again, I, I mentioned the timing of this, 1972. The 1960s and early 1970s saw Brit- so many British colonies getting independence yeah. and casting off the, the colonial rule and all that sort of stuff. So uh, this would have this would have hit the, the audience a much different way than pr- right. probably does for the 21st century audience. This, this is definitely towards the, the end of the British Empire um, having land overseas, you know. Very, yeah. you know, India had already break broken away. Uh, much of Africa had already broken away. Um, other parts were just in the process of doing it. You know, you, you look at, of course, you know, Canada had long since been an independent country by this point. You yeah. know, the United States was two hundred years past rebelling. You know, so I mean, right. much of the empire had had faded. The 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 Roman or the uh, Roman Empire, the British Empire <laughs> was was very much not an empire anymore by this point. Yeah. Uh, and and we have a you know, right off the bat a really good description or, or or visualization of how the overlords treated the locals. They mm-hmm. you know they we see this man old man in ragged clothes being chased by cops of some sort. You know, cop soldiers. You know, guys yep. in uniform. Um, that uh, they they call him a mutt. Yep. Uh, that's the their their uh, slang uh, insult slur for the the local population. Uh, and one of them kills the mutt, and then they conspire to cover it up. And it, yep. and it looks like, you know, business, this must be business as usual. Uh, so right off the bat, we get a sense of this is a unjust system, mm-hmm. bad system. And this is where we meet the, the marshal, who is a thoroughly unsympathetic character throughout. There's absolutely nothing of him that is sympathetic at all. No redeeming features for this guy. This guy is, uh, you know, like fascist or colonizer whatever yeah colonial overlord I mean, whatever even it's, even his uniform looks very militaristic and yeah. you know yeah yep. again fascist type we all we also meet uh two of the overlord soldiers who are actually sympathetic and will mm-hmm. eventually turn uh cotton and stubs and yeah. I, I gotta say i like cotton and stubs uh, we oh, need yeah. a show you know cotton and stubs yeah <laughs> well, which we won't get because obviously you know the the, I, the bad fate for uh, stubs, but yeah, yeah. I um, I have to admit though, the idea of naming the black man Cotton, at least <laughs> yeah. here in the United States, that hits really wrong. It probably does, maybe it did in Great Britain. I don't know. Maybe that was a, yeah. kind of a tongue in cheek. By the way, he was played by Rick James, but not the Rick James, not the musical Rick James. <laughs> no, not 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 super freak Rick James. It was yeah. the, he was actually an act, actor from uh, the Caribbean who uh, right. Yeah, had a good uh, good accent there. Um, although he didn't he didn't do much besides this. You know, he, he there was only a handful of things in his filmography on IMDb. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he had a very strong Caribbean accent. Uh, that's for sure. No, um, they're they're good character. And Cotton becomes the the new administrator when everything is all said and done. Yeah, yeah. To help to help the Solons actually become independent and you know clean up the mess that Earth has made out of their planet. Right. And to the credit of most of the people from Earth, apart from the Marshall, they were intent on, you know, letting the Salonians be independent, letting them go, letting the colony. It was really just the Marshall who mm-hmm. uh, wanted to, you know, basically genocide and kill them all off. Uh, yeah. Marshall is, and Jaeger, the, yeah. the scientist. Yeah. Well, Jaeger's the the uh, stereotypical 
scientist who's all about the science and doesn't care about people. Like, but it's the science. Yeah. That's just science. That's I, I I don't know anything about that that stuff. That's just science. You know. So. Yeah. <laughs> so and then we have another one of these cases where the Time Lords are using the Doctor as as their errand boy. This is going to ha- mm-hmm. happen b- both here in the Third Doctor, but also in the Fourth Doctor's time. Doesn't happen as much with the Fifth, does it? Does it still happen? No, I I don't recall too many too many times after this, you know, after the third and fourth Doctor that you have the the Time Lords directly interfering like this, where they're they're saying yeah. go and go and do something. Um, and of course, production wise, the third Doctor, the you know, the BBC had made a conscious choice to keep him on Earth because it lowered production values dramatically when production they could just costs. go film, yeah, or pre- yeah, costs. Yeah. Excuse me, not values, yeah. Um, and so, but of course, they still wanted to, you know, do some outer space time travely stuff. And so they, they, this was their, their conceit was allow him to, uh, become a messenger boy or do some work for the time lords, you know, behind yeah. the scenes. Now, with the 10th, the 10th season, we've got one more episode in the ninth season, the third doctor. And in 10th season, they do allow him to travel again. We say we have right. the, the 10 doc, the third, three doctors, which was the 10th anniversary special. And that's where he gets the ability to once again be free and travel the universe and, uh okay. Does one one of the other doctors fixes the TARDIS? No, the uh, Time Lords actually give him the ability oh, okay. to travel again. Because okay. what they did is they t- the way they said it is not just they didn't disable the TARDIS; they disabled the Doctor's knowledge of how to f- travel through time. Oh, okay, okay, interesting. And then so then there's the last scene of of the ten- the three Doctors is the little dematerialization circuit showing up on top of the console, and the Doctor suddenly remembers how to travel in time again. <laughs> awesome yeah it is kind of funny like the, the this message ball just kind of shows up and no explanation no like who it's for or like you just they, they've pre-programmed the coordinates into the tardis and he's gotta go just gotta go figure it out like yep. it's like it's a very strange system of and yeah. and why like it never explains why the time lords are getting involved in this yeah, it doesn't explain why the Time Lords are getting involved, and it doesn't explain why the Time Lords couldn't just, I don't know, make it appear right in front of Kai at some point. Yeah, yeah, just like, oh, bear. It'd have, like, a, just a big, like, sticky note on it. Kai, touch this. <laughs> you know? Yeah, open this. <laughs> open this. <laughs> like, yeah, it was kind of, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's clearly a contrivance. It's just, we need a plot device contrivance right. to get the Doctor in, going in this. And that's... It's- to give credit to the writers, they actually thought about, okay, the doctor can't just jump in the TARDIS and go to this planet. So how do we get him in the TARDIS going to this planet? Oh, I know the time Lords are going to make this box appear. Right. Right. Yeah. And then, and pre-program the coordinates. Yeah. So, uh, you mentioned the, uh, once they get to the sky base and there's a whole like comedic thing where they're sitting in a, in a broom closet, thinking it's the reception area, uh, waiting for someone to come and see them. Yeah, there's the, in this this peace conference that that's going on that the administrator is running that the marshal doesn't like because the marshal he he doesn't want the you know overlord rule to end he wants he knows that the empire is pulling out so what mm-hmm. he's wanting to do is fill the vacuum the power vacuum and become the ruler of this planet himself he wants uh, to become the new emperor of Solon yes right. And this is his uh, because Earth has also kind of become uninhabitable on the surface. They've ruined mm-hmm. the the surface of Earth too. So he he has the idea that if we can only just get rid of the Solons, then people will come from Earth and live here, and I can be ruler of the new Earth. That sort of thing. Um, it seems a bit far fetched, and it turns out 
he's he's cracked. He's you know yeah. His elevator doesn't go to the top. He's crazy. Floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, the uh, the the branches are moving by the wind ain't blowing. I think it's the uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. And so then and we've so we got Varen, who is the Solon leader, the older Solon leader. But then here's his nephew Kai, and they're at odds. They're fighting mm-hmm. amongst themselves. So you have this kind of complex, multi-sided uh, conflict going on here, which is which is good. Um, yep. And um, so the I'm trying to think. Of, like, there's a whole part where there's like an assassination attempt. That's either an assassination attempt on Kai. I think that's what we're supposed to think, but it turns out it's to be on the administrator. That, right. But that uh, Varen and the Marshal, which we would never get his name, he's just the Marshal, um, yep. they uh, they conspire and they, they set up uh, Varen's own son to be the Patsy who mm-hmm. – and uh, he doesn't realize he's about – he's going to get punished for this. Like he thinks he's going to get rewarded and the Marshal's like, nope, you're the bad guy. You did it. You're the assassin. Bang, you're dead. Like he just yep. – Kills him outright. And Uses Varen, the same device to kill him. Yeah. And uh, did Varen know that his son was going to be killed, do you think? I kind of think, think he did. So. I don't think you know? so. Because I think, I think Varen saw that he would be set up as the, the Solon leader in perpetuity under the, the marshal. Okay. And, and so he didn't expect that his own son would be right. made the, uh, the, the fall guy. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and the and the marshal also tried to kill Varen, but Varen was able to get out of the way of the weapon. Right. 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 Yeah. You, you know, don't kill off your co-conspirators. That means future co-conspirators won't trust you. Like it's just you exactly. Know, if, if you're going to be a bad guy, <laughs> yeah, do it right. Um, yeah. So the the uh, Kai takes off and takes Joe with him to the surface of Solas, and that we mentioned before it's it's toxic. The surface soil contains a nitrogen isotope that UV rays turn into a poisonous mist that's deadly to humans, but not deadly to the Salonians. And mm-hmm. uh, it's only active during the day, conveniently. Yep. Where sunlight where the, hits because the UV yeah. rays. I'm not sure where the mist goes at night. It just settles <laughs> back down into the ground, I guess. Yeah. Just don't lay on the ground then uh, <laughs> at night. Um, and so this, this, they, uh, the the humans have to wear these breather masks, which just was giving me COVID flashbacks. Uh, you know, they <laughs> I thought they looked masks. like I thought they looked like uh, small funnels, like you'd use for for like um, putting pouring stuff liquids. in bottles. Yeah, yeah pouring <laughs> liquids into bottles. You know, uh, yeah, I know they did kind of look like that. Um, uh, so um, the marshal ends up having to blackmail the doctor to open the message cube. He wants the doctor to open the message cube. Or he'll let Joe die on the surface, and he keeps using this Joe's eventual fate. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of a one note for his, his hostage taking. It's like I'm going to kill her if you don't do it. I'm going to kill her if you don't do it. She's going to die. Yes, and and he doesn't always have that control over her. Like she, he's like, you know, she escapes, and the doctor's like, oh, she's escaped. I'm not helping you anymore. Oh, she's caught again. Well, I guess I have to help you again. Like it's just, yep. we keep yeah. going back and forth. Um, so the doctor ends up. You know, okay, I'll help you, but I'll need a, a, a an adequately equipped lab to to turn this the message ball inside out so you can see what's on what the message is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when he meets Jaeger, who's trying to make the atmosphere livable again. Um, so the the whole point of this planet is that they've been mining cesium, 
out of it yep. as a which is a fuel source for their ships. Uh, but the cesium is mined out. The empire is leaving, um, and, the, and and so they're trying to make it livable for humans. Um, right. I'm, and I'm, that's, I'm that's the point too. It's not livable. It's not livable for the Solonians because it, it is still already livable for them. It's livable for the humans that the limits, humans can live on there without the breather masks. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, and and so they're having so much trouble making the the fixing the atmosphere. That was the first step was to fix the atmosphere. So now the Jaeger proposes, well, instead of fixing the atmosphere, let's just wipe out the population. You know, like mm -hmm. uh, there's a way to fix the atmosphere. They, well, put it another way. They're trying to fix the atmosphere while not hurting the people on the on the surface. But that's not working or they're running out of time for that. That's really right. what it is. Uh, so he says, well, there's another way to, to to do it, but it would kill everybody on the surface. Oh, the do that then is the marshals. Yeah. Thing. Marshall's like, oh, that's all the better. Yes. So the, the doctor. uh Short circuits everything, literally and <laughs> yeah. uh, figuratively, by destroying the power supply for the sky base. So then we we yeah we we meet this scientist, which is another kind of like cliche, a bit of, or trope mm -hmm. of these sorts of stories. The scientist who went native, uh, yep. the anthropologist, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Sondergaard. Sondergaard, yes, uh, who's Dutch. Uh, that yep. the, the Sondergaard name. Um, and so he's the one who's kind of discovered he, he, he can read the Salonian script, this ancient yeah. language. And he and the doctor are the ones who figure out the hundreds years long seasons, which is, uh, by the way, Game of Thrones used that, too. Like the, the fact yeah. that their planet has hundreds of years of long seasons. And I always feel like that doesn't make sense. Right. <laughs> because, you know, if, if your winter is 500 years long. Not much is going to survive. Like, what's what's yeah. growing? <laughs> I mean, depends on how severe the winter is, but yeah, it's it's and that that's kind of like the the science behind it is kind of does the planet revolve that slowly around the sun? Does is the is the um, orbit of the planet that severe that it's more like a comet? Yeah. Well, they show you know? the orbit, right? Don't they show the orbit in the? Uh they in do some of the, the tablets and it's very elliptical. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. more like a comet, you know, which goes way, you know, like the, the comets that go around the earth, sun, our sun, I mean, they go way out past Pluto and then come back in and that's, you know, and they freeze yeah. and they thaw. And so that's apparently what this planet does. It gets, let's get, I mean, it probably doesn't go that far where it's like froze, like a frozen rock, but it yeah. probably just, it's probably just elliptical enough that, you know, this, the, the, but it, but it's slow. But it still have to be a big. It still have to be a. Yeah. I don't know a very intense sun that is going around. <laughs> it's it's kind of. I, I, if Jimmy were here, he would give us all the the uh, the science. Oh, I'm, I'm on sure it. he's gonna he'd have have lots to say about it. But yeah. But uh, by, by the yeah, way, did Sonnegard look did Sonnegard look familiar to you? No, uh, he was played by. Oh, I had it written down here. Where did I put it? Played by John Hollis. Uh -huh. Was Lando's aide Lobot on? <gasps> On Empire, there were not a lot of like bald actor guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, you put put the little blinky thing around his ears and yeah, around the yeah. back of his head, and that that's him. Five years later, he's in Star Wars, or no, actually yeah. a lot longer. He's in Empire, so about ten years, ten years, but, yeah, ten years later. But he was or also in the first two Christopher yeah. Reeve Superman films as people from uh, head head people from uh, uh, Krypton. And then he was in Flash Gordon as a small part as well. Oh, okay. So he had quite a few movies around that point. I tell you, there's, I mean, these classic Who episodes, we, we keep running into these 
actors from Star Wars, you know, uh, Imperial officers, whatever. You know, it's, it's kind yep. of fun to see. Uh, I guess you, well, you know when you're when you're casting for Star Wars, you're looking for people who have experience in sci-fi. You know, and so yeah. That's, that's well, and, they and didn't they film some of it over in UK? Oh yeah, it was Star all Wars? it was all filmed at Pinewood Studios. Um, okay, there all, you go, and that's why. So yeah, yeah. I mean, so they got all the, the just use the local actors. Yeah, the, <laughs> the studio shooting was in was in uh, was in England. Uh, the the locations they had location stuff in Tunisia, but you know Tatooine. Yep. Um, uh, and then they filmed Empire and Jedi in Pinewood Studios too. Okay. So, um, yeah. The, so the yeah the hundred years long they discover uh, Joe discovers the Cave of Light, which is an unstable unstable cesium zone. I'm kind of wondering back to the message ball from the Time Lords. Why mm-hmm. did they send the message to Kai and not to Sondergaard? Because Sondergaard's the one who eventually is the one who has to figure out what it means, right? Kai does because it's from the Kai from Kai's people. I you know again there's there's some of these. I think it's so that the Doctor gets involved with Kai. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, to it take was- it take it in universe, the the Time Lords wanted to make sure that the Doctor went to Kai and worked with him, not just Sondergaard. Right, right. Because because it was eventually it has to be Kai who has to do the first transformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the which was happened so. Yeah, I mean, uh, so eventually the marshal pushes Jaeger to launch bef- the these missiles to do the bad thing to the planet before he's ready because there's an uh, uh, an investigator coming from Earth and he needs to get this done before the investigator shows up, and he ends up uh, plant poisoning the whole planet. Like it just he screws everything. It's like even worse than before. Like now yeah. it's not going to be livable for humans. It's going to be livable with nobody, um, and. But the doctor is able to reverse that by using his reverse particle reversal technique to destroy the crystals that are growing in the in the planet's soil. Right, right, and that and that eventually is what saves the planet. Um, there is a point where Joe and Kai and Cotton and Stubbs get get caught by the marshal, and they need to escape. So Joe uses the old "I'm falling sick" trick. Like, does that still work in the 30th century? Like Apparently, a prisoner collapses. Oh, I'm feeling ill and falls to the ground. And you come running in to get bonked in the head. Like, come on. Yeah. Or in her case, because she, she's a master of escape, she was able to escape the handcuffs. Yeah, that's right. And- that's right. I love that. I love that little detail about Joe. She's like, a, she's an escape artist. She's a master escape artist. Yep. Um, it becomes very handy as a, a recurring character to, to have that exactly. skill. <laughs> so. When Kai is exposed to this special stone that they found in the caves, um, I like the fact that there was there's this instinct in the Salonians that these special caves are they they just they don't know why, but they feel safe there. Like there's mm-hmm. a genetic disposition to go to these caves because they're a safe place and feel safe there. And the reason that it is is because this is where the mutations happen. I, I kind of like that little detail. That was really nice. Yeah, no, it was it was good, and it's like that. The, the doctor and Kai are standing there bef- in front of that one symbol, and he goes, "I feel safe. I feel comfortable here." And the doctor's like, "Oh, interesting." Yeah, doctor right, can't right. can't feel it, but but Kai's like, "Yeah, I, I like you know moss to the flame, but of course flame's not good for moss, but you know moss right. to light. You know they feel comfortable there. They feel warm. Right. But it's like a, a like a salmon swimming upstream to spawn. You know, it's like." Yep. There's a genetic disposition to go to these places. Uh, exactly. So 
Kai gets exposed to the special stone and cesium radi- radiation. So he has to be both. And that yep. transforms him into a butterfly. Like it's, it is clearly a, a butterfly like transition. colored transdimensional butterfly. Yeah. An advanced being capable of all kinds of fantastic powers. Yeah. Yep. He goes to a higher plane, shall we say? Because he becomes yeah. uh, one of the ancients he in a Stargate language. He ascends. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and, and, and then, you know, in the end, uh, the marshal is killed. Jaeger is killed. The Salonians get their planet back. Um, yep. And the the Earth Empire is going to transition over. And like you said, Cotton is in charge. Um, and then the Doctor and Joe go back to Earth. And and that's 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 it. Pretty much it. Um, I, I have to say, it's a good story. It's got the bones of a good story. I'd like to see this done using modern storytelling and special effects and that sort of stuff. Uh, because it's an interesting, I you know, an interesting story that that it can be retold again and again because it's a very human story. Yeah, well, it, it's and it really was kind of two stories crammed into one. You know, the in on the uh, on the the TARDIS wiki they talk about how you know the the first story was the the uh, the apartheid apartheid yeah the apartheid part. Thank you. Yeah. I, I could blank down the word apartheid. <laughs> Haven't heard it in a lot of years. Thanks be to God. But, yeah. Um, you know, we had that story, and then it was tacked on a story about the uh, the uh, mutants, right? That that actually one of the yeah yeah Barry Letts himself wrote Barry Letts. It was the the not the showrunner at the time. He was like director of of a um, story at the time, yeah. I believe. Anyway, so they took these two stories and kind of crammed them together, and that's why it got a little long and strung out towards the end, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, it was if if they had shortened it up, if the you know, if like you said, if it was told a little bit more, a little more fast pace, I think it would have been much better story. I mean, it kind of reminds me of that first Doctor story we talked about not too long ago, where they were they had the butterfly people. Remember that mm-hmm. one? What was that one? Uh, uh, I don't remember. Web, not Web of Fear. Um, not space oh, was it, was, is that like? <laughs> isn't the one with the there on the. No, I was I was thinking the one was the uh, Zorby, but and all that from the first Doctor. But no, that's, you're not, probably not thinking of that one. There's the no, I think that's the one I was thinking of. Like where they they were sort of butterfly people, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess it's not exactly the same thing, but um, I, I guess the the fact they were butterfly people kind of reminds the giant me of ants it. and the butterfly people. Yeah, but you had this idea of uh, was there transformation of that one? I guess not. I thought I, I was. There was some. There was something we did recently where there was like a, about the idea of, of people transforming in unexpected ways. Like we we think of them as this one kind of person, and then but they they have this capacity to become so much more. I mean, there was it's it's a perennial science fiction oh, yeah. story. We talk. There was an Enterprise Star Trek Enterprise episode mm-hmm. where it was that where you had a uh, the the downtrodden uh, people who were like us, almost a chattel slave race who were coming up while the, the master race was in decline, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that sort of thing. Um, so it was kind of similar. Yep. Uh, any, any other thoughts on this episode, Father Corey? Uh, just one more person to talk about the administrator who we only see for like one story, one, one part. Yeah. Was, uh, played by Jeffrey Palmer, who was Captain Hardiker on Voyage of the Damned. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a, a throwback. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a lot long long time between between stories. 
obviously yeah. much older in, in Voyage of the Damned, but right, yeah. So that right. was because I recognize him. He's got kind of a distinctive face, shall we say? Yes, yeah. And for people who don't aren't familiar, that's the um, the tenth Doctor Christmas special that that also included uh, Kylie Minogue, Kylie Minogue, the singer. Yes, um, and our f- first appearance of Bernard Cribbins. That's right. Yep. Uh, and yeah, he was, and he was also in Doctor Who and the Solarians. That was the other one he was he's been in. Yeah, he has a very distinctive face. Uh, you, you remember? He's like you see him. And, yeah, he was on uh, Faulty Towers. That's right. That's right. Oh, funny. Yeah, I haven't I, seen I, that in years. Uh, I, yeah, I only saw a few of those, but uh, yeah, <laughs> funny. And I, and I also got a kick that the chess set that uh, Stubbs and Cotton were using, all the pieces were basically made out of like pipes, like copper and iron pipes. Right, like little fittings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did notice that. Yeah. Uh, this is the sort of thing that uh, you know soldiers will put together in their spare time to. Uh, yep, exactly. To, yep, that's fun. Cool. All right, so I think that'll do it for this time. We want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Trevor W., Rosemarie S., John H., Mike M., and Andrea M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you thought of this third Doctor story, The Mutants. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com, or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com, or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We're having some great conversations there about Doctor Who. So we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 12th Doctor story, Mummy on the Orient Express. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember... I am the doctor, qualified in practically everything.